Welcome to Bioethics on Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. In 2018, the United States Catholic Bishops revised Part 6 of the Ethical and Religious Directives for Catholic Healthcare Services, or ERDs. In our previous podcast, Dr. John Brahaney, Director of Institutional Relations for the National Catholic Bioethics Center, discussed the revised Part 6, and in particular the new ERD Directives 67-77. through His insights expand on the commentary on the revised Part 6 that the NCBC published in the January 2019 edition of Ethics and Medics. In this podcast, the third in a three-part series, Dr. Brahaney explores how the U.S. bishops use the term witness in the revised Part 6 and what witness means for the future of Catholic healthcare. He also explores how collaborative arrangements pose challenges to Catholic healthcare in terms of maintaining distinctive programs of care and effectively proclaiming the truth about the human person and human dignity. So, John, in the revised Part 6, the U.S. bishops introduce what they term, quote, a new consideration, unquote, for assessing collaborative arrangements, and it is, as you said, witness. What's the significance of witness? It's interesting. They they don't announce it uh, in so many words, but as we ethicists read these directives, I think it comes through unmistakably uh, in a couple of ways, and maybe I can say just uh, a few words about that. So, um, first of all, uh, and uh, again, I'm a bit of a numbers guy, which I think I said one other time, uh, I got searching. I noticed the term coming up more than I remembered, and I searched, and I found out that the term witness is now in part six of the, the ERDs eight times um, which is more than it had ever been used before. In fact, in, in the, the last editions, and there was really no change in the term, it was used only twice. So, you know, that's a factor of four. Uh, it has increased. And interestingly, four of those come in the introduction itself, which has been beefed up, and four more times it comes in the directives. I mean, I think that's the the first thing to notice. Uh, the second thing is there seems to be a real change in the content um, uh, of the term witness. And, and one way to, to notice this is to look at the, again, prior editions of Part 6 when they said, uh, words to the effect that collaborative arrangements can help with the witness of the church. What did they reference? Well, one thing they said, it would give uh, Catholic organizations a chance to witness to their religious and ethical commitments. Okay, you know, that's not bad. Or they could witness to a responsible stewardship of limited health care resources. Okay, well, I mean, you know, efficiency and and, and things like that are good. Uh, but two two references and, and and to those kinds of things. What do we see now? And um, just in the um, the introduction of um, 
part six of the ERDs, now what the reference is witnessing to what? And it's always something uh, very profound, very distinctive, very ultimate. So now it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the Catholic faith. It's the church's witness to Christ and his saving message. Okay, And that's something very different than um, the responsible stewardship of limited health care resources. You know, here's I, maybe, I think, an, an interesting time to back up and, and go back to that topic uh, of the CDF principles, which really was such a, uh, a big contributing factor, and even when you get into the content, a big part of the revision of the ERDs. It turns out that the term witness came up in that pretty short document four times. And again, this is where I think the um, the uh, this deeper substantive content comes from, because it's in the very first sentence of the principles as they're used, and the CDF uses the term reference to the Catholic faith and to the distinctive way that Catholics, in witnessing to that faith, care for the sick, and they give as an example of witness the martyrs, St. Cosmas and Damien. So they were physicians. They were physicians who cared for the sick. In fact, they didn't even take payment. Uh, I, I think it was the other physicians who might have, I can't remember how they died, might have stoned them to death or, or something like that. But uh, but they they were martyred for for, because of the care they were offering and for their witness to Jesus Christ. And this is what the CDF holds out to us. It's, it's like the first thing it says is a reference to the Catholic faith to this and to the distinctive way we care for the sick. We can't lose this. For example, these martyrs, okay? And then they go on, and when they, and when they use the, the term witness, they're referring to prophetic witness. They seem to be saying, you know, that we need to, we need to be courageous. Uh, we need to be, uh, and, and sometimes it's hard to use a different term, witnessing. We need to be testifying to the truth, you know, uh, about what? Well, the truth about Christ, uh, to the dignity of the human person, to what it means to respect the human person, uh, in his or her body, you know, we need to be, we cannot lose that. And and there is this sense of urgency at times in the CDF document as they give guidance. Again, the term comes up four times, three times of which uh, it's it's got the modifier prophetic. Uh, the, CD, uh, the ERDs don't use that. They don't never use the term prophetic, but like I said in the introduction, each time they say it, you're witnessing to what, it's something very profound, very ultimate. And then, uh, and this is kind of interesting, it comes up four times in the directives in such a way that, that, that uh, the NCBC believes that this really is a new consideration. So this is maybe seen first uh, and best in Directive 67. Um, it says what you know, diocesan bishop has ultimate responsibility to assess and what uh, about an arrangement. Does it involve wrongful cooperation, principles of cooperation, theological scandal, 
or undermine the church's witness. So you've got this this trifold, this threefold thing that the, the diocesan bishop has to be looking at. That's the only directive in which you get all three. Now, there are three more times that the, uh, the term witness comes up in the directives. Each time, it's paired with theological scandal, in addition to theological scandal. So in the old editions of the ERDs, and sort of traditionally, I would say, in um, cooperation analysis, you ask... Am I engaged in an appropriate level of cooperation? Of course, never formal and never closely what's called material, where you say, well, I don't agree with it, but somehow I'm connected in a close way. It's always got to be what's called immediate or somewhat at a distance and material. That means it's not, you're not intending what the principal agent, the, the wrongdoing that he or she is is intending. Uh, but anyway, and then scandal. It was always, is your level of cooperation right? And then look at the scandal. And now, whether it's Directive 67 or the three additional times, it's scandal and witness, and scandal and witness, and scandal and witness, which I would say suggests that they want Catholic healthcare organizations. In fact, the bishops as a body want their brother individual bishops to be asking what a collaborative relationship has to do with the church being able to effectively witness to the gospel, to the fullness of the faith, to Christ and his saving message. So that's why we think it's something new. And that leads, uh, uh, let's see if we can flush that out a little bit, uh, what you just said, because in the NCBC's commentary, uh, it says the following. This line is in there, and this is a quote. The NCBC believes that the strength and content of the term witness expresses a concern about maintaining the fullness and distinctiveness of the Catholic faith in the increasingly integrated field of healthcare financing and delivery, unquote. Based on what you just said and this quote, what does it mean then to maintain the fullness and distinctiveness of the Catholic faith in healthcare? You know, it um, it seems to me, and I'm almost going back to that first sentence of the um, the CDF principles. There's an element of testifying to the truth, an element of speech, if you will, um, and then there's going to be an element of action, uh, of actually caring for the sick, either the things that you do or the things that you don't do. Uh, both have to be there. Um, I think what they want is Catholic healthcare organizations not to become so connected, so woven into the web uh, of uh, healthcare delivery in the United States, which is getting more and more integrated. Um, you could make a case that we've suffered uh, from from too much diversity. Usually that's something you don't hear about in our culture. But I mean, they're just in the, in the past, because so many people could get into healthcare, we didn't have a national healthcare system, um, you name it. Uh, there's just so many different kinds of hospitals, so many different kinds of doctors, groups, medical services, you name it. All that diversity certainly leads to lack of efficiency, and of course, it leads to higher costs. So one uh, point, one goal of the Affordable Care Act was to drive people 
into um, larger and larger systems to try to reduce all this diversity. They, they basically, they're driving doctors to be employees now and not free and independent professionals, you know, having their own practice. They're, they're driving hospitals to consolidate healthcare or, you know, healthcare insurance companies to consolidate. To the extent Catholic healthcare becomes part of an increasingly tightly woven web, both for the financing piece and the delivery piece, I think there's a concern that the church can still speak the truth. You know, one thing I, our culture is in love with is autonomy. Such a growth in um, in uh, support for euthanasia, as you covered in a in a prior podcast. And what is that based on? A lot of it's based on saying that someone has the right, you know, to determine the time of their own death or determine, you know, how much suffering they're going to take and and when it can be over. Uh, another piece of that is if someone is, you know, they have dementia, you know, they can't remember who they are, they can't remember who their family is, someone might say, well, who'd want to live like that, you know, where there's no identity, no autonomy. Anyway, that would be one thing. It seems to me that the church itself and these healthcare organizations must have the strength and independence to speak to uh, today. Care of the body is another. As you know, uh, our society is being roiled. Uh, with, um, you know, really a, a kind of a proselytism about uh, transgenderism, uh, that there's no such thing as a male or a female. Uh, you know, obviously, I think you had a podcast on that. It's a very complex thing. People are afraid to speak the truth. In fact, people are being intimidated into not speaking the truth about the good of the human body, about the integrated uh, elements of human nature, body and soul, matter and spirit, the church must remain free to speak. The second thing is, like I said, behavior or action. It's, it's great to be efficient. It's great to work together. Um, there's a lot of good there. And I think the, C, uh, I think the new ERDs recognize that. Um, however, to the extent it seems that Catholic healthcare organizations become part of what is not only integrated, but, but more standardized and secular approaches to healthcare delivery. It's possible that they're not going to be able to offer distinctive programs of care. And I, I, that is a concern. It's, I think it's implicitly there in the way that this term witness, like I say, is used both four times in the introduction, four times in the uh, directives uh, to go beyond theological scandal and beyond even the terms of the cooperation and say, there's something else here. We have to retain uh, our ability to speak about and to act in accordance with the deepest truths of our faith. So in, in the commentary and in the comments uh, to the, your, your comments to the last question, uh, both the NCBC and you are cautioning that the creation of these large healthcare systems can cause Catholic healthcare to lose their ability to offer distinctive programs of care. What are the specific distinctive programs of care that, that, uh, that you're referencing here? Well, you know, I don't know that there's an official list that, that's been carved <laughs> in stone somewhere, but oh, let me, I'll just try to give two examples, maybe. Um, 
what about hospice care? Um, well, it's that's a, you know it's a valued <laughs> a program of care. Of course, it's funded and regulated by the federal government. Um, we know that individuals and organizations who have been connected historically, who have been connected organizationally to right to die organizations in our country, have infiltrated, um, you know, at, at, at a national level, uh, hospice organizations, and even on a local level. So, if if there was one hospice program you know, for a region or for a city, and the Catholic organization said, well, you know, we're not going to duplicate uh, this service. Um, what if the essential hospice services had to be offered in a way, you know, according to a lowest common denominator, if you will, as to what hospice is about, and because of changes in state law and policy and culture, this had to include you know, at some point, the right to forego even ordinary means of conserving human life, um, or maybe even actions that would constitute euthanasia, uh, maybe by omission, uh, or maybe by commission, maybe inappropriate use of palliative care measures. The point is, uh, what if there were just an emphasis in the program itself? It's all about you. It's all about your choice. Right. You know what I mean? And what if, yep. what if they had to live in that world? It seems to me that's not right. And the other might be in the area of care for human sexuality and fertility. I mean, there's I can think of a, you know, a state out in the mountain region, and they have a state-level goal at getting more and more uh, adolescent girls and what are called long-acting reversible contraceptives, you know, IUDs, implants, you name it. Well, hey, pediatric care and, and a systematic approach to meeting the needs of adolescents is a great thing. I mean, you know, we, we should be supporting that. We should be caring for, for, you know, boys and girls in a manner consistent with our faith. What if there were one accountable care organization, you know, and there had to be standardized programs, and either a Catholic system might somehow have to be involved, you know, in the organized delivery of such care, or they they simply couldn't, in a way, step outside that to offer a whole different set of pediatric clinics. You know what I mean? Um, right. I, th these are just examples, um, and that's the thing about this this section. I think uh, a lot of people recognize that even though there are complicated clinical issues in healthcare, uh, some of them you know around issues in pregnancy, the organizational issues can be complex because of their their size and the legalities and and the the fast uh, pace of change in the marketplace. Um, it's hard to come up with the list or something, but I, I do think it's true that uh, one thing that is new in this part six of the ERDs is a new use of the term witness. It's more frequent, it's more substantive, and it's used in a way throughout the directives themselves that indicate that there's something more that Catholic organizations have to be cautious about, have to be cognizant of, and have to be addressing. And it, it's not just for them. It's, uh, you know, it's not just, oh, okay, are they doing something wrong? They've got to make it possible for the church itself. They should be helping the church itself 
to be a distinctive voice in our culture. And I, I think I think that's deeply implicit uh, in this use of the term witness. I think there's more to unpack about it, to, to study and discuss about it, but uh, I think there's something there. One last formal question. The NCBC also cautions um, that in the creation of these large health that, that the creation of these large health systems can quote make it more difficult for themselves or for the church as a whole to effectively proclaim the truth about the human person and authentic respect for human dignity unquote. What does this mean? Well, and I maybe I have to apologize. I almost feel like I I ran ahead uh, even in the. Um... That's okay. Even in the uh, the examples I gave when you asked me a few minutes ago, what are examples of programs of care? But it, it had to do, uh, you know, I, I was getting at, I, I think, what's implicit in this question. To, and, it, and it could be one of two things. They might actually be associated with actions in a, in a whole new way. And the healthcare organization really has been changing radically, I would say, since the passage of the Affordable Care Act, there's no doubt that the 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 size, the scale, you name it, of the organizational um, interweaving is is at a whole new level. And either Catholic organizations could find themselves cooperating with, bound up with, or associated with actions uh, that that undermine the witness of the church or they might fail to have the independence, uh, the freedom, the resources to do something distinctive. I, that's what I was getting at, and the examples, like I said, were a hospice program and a, and a program of adolescent wellness care that also addressed you know, issues of emerging fertility in boys and girls. Um, and again, if, if they're if they're associated with, if they're not offering options consistent with the Catholic faith, how are people in our society going to witness to it? How are bishops, in a sense, going to be effectively speak to this? People will say, what do we do? And they'll say, I, I don't even know. I, there don't appear to be any options. And I think there should be options. That's the thing. I mean, the Catholic, Catholic Church has a 2,000-year tradition of building distinctive options in healthcare. Now, some of them aren't distinctive, you know, some of them are basic quality care and treatment, but some of them are, and, I, and we have to retain that. What final words of wisdom do you have for us? Oh, <laughs> well, um, I, uh, you know, this is a complex part. It's this part of uh, the ERDs, it has been revised more frequently and more radically than anything else over the past, you know, almost 25 years. Uh, again, the 1994 ERDs were uh, really a new chapter, a whole new organization, et cetera, in the history of the ERDs. And now for the second time since 1994, uh, there's really been a radical change to part six. And, um, so there's something going on there, and I, I think it's fair to say it's going on there because of the complexity of the realities involved, uh, you know, just the, the changing healthcare marketplace and so on, the ethical principles involved, 
uh, and some of the ethical dangers involved. So there's all that complexity. And at the same time, I think the bishops have managed to put together a revision that, you know, uh, as best they can uh, in applying ancient wisdom to to this this new situation, they've done a, a very good job of, in a sense, uh, refreshing the guidance given, updating it, and I think giving us something to build on. So it's it's going to take some time to unpack it, and uh, sometimes the way that things get clearer is is in actually doing them, you know, or trying to do them right. So uh, I think there's a lot of work to do. I know the NCBC is intensely interested in this, and, and we're interested in working with individuals and organizations, you know, to serve Catholic health care. It's, it's vitally important. John Berhaney, you give us a lot of food for thought. Thank you very much. All right. You're welcome. This concludes our three-part series on the ethical and religious directives. For more information on this topic and other bioethical issues, visit our website, ncbcenter.org and subscribe to our publications, Ethics and Medics and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. If you enjoy these podcasts and would like to support them and the National Catholic Bioethics Center as a whole, please click the donate button on our website. I'm your host, Joe Zalot. Thank you for joining us today and we'll see you next time.